Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Ted, your friend and host speaking. And on today's show, we have Tony Falkenstein who will teach us how to find, validate and execute our business ideas. Tony is the founder and CEO of the Just Life group of companies which is listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. As a serial entrepreneur who has launched over 50 businesses, Tony shares his tips on how he finds, validates and executes on his business ideas, his journey behind the Just Life group and how he teaches the next generation of business leaders. Now, Tony shares a ton of his experiences over the show, so I'm sure you'll come away with something useful as well. Now, the show notes, tools, and all resources are available online at tedteo.com. That's T-E-D-T-E-O.com. Now, if you'd like to support the show, then the best way you can do this is to subscribe, leave a review, and to share this with someone who will find it useful as well. Now, as a way to say thank you and to show my appreciation to you guys, if you actually do subscribe and leave a review on Apple iTunes by the end of September, then you stand a chance to win $50 worth of gift vouchers from Amazon. Now, let's dive right in. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Ted. Delighted to be on. Tony, let's start with a simple icebreaker so we can all get to know you a bit better. Could you share with us, who is Tony Falkenstein when he is not working? Oh, Tony Falkenstein is a, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a tennis player. Mm. But, um, but to me, work is a game. It's like a game of Monopoly and I love playing that game. So <laughs> I probably work a lot longer than, or other people would say I work a lot longer than I do, but I, uh, I just love playing this game. But I also like going out in the garden and, uh, and walking and, and certainly put a lot of effort into exercise and balance in my life. Mm, a work-life balance is really important. So, Tony, could you share with us your journey with Just Water? I know when you first started out, your company was actually renting out fax machines. So how and why did you pivot to the water industry from there? Well, we rented out fax machines and we really looked for other products that we could rent out. And I saw water coolers on the uh, Lucy Tyler show, actually. <laughs> what a way to get inspiration. And at the time, New Zealanders were starting to get into uh, more jogging and talking about the health pyramid and what have you. And I thought, maybe there's a market for drinking water. And everybody said to me, nobody will ever pay for drinking water. And anyway, I bought six water coolers and ran a horrible ad in the local paper, which said your water's full of uh, all, these, all these little germs. And anyway, the six water coolers went. And within a couple of months, I was selling a uh, container load of them. Uh, renting, but we always rented, always rented. Wow, way to prove them wrong. So Tony, you're a seasoned entrepreneur and you've launched over 50 businesses to date. Walk us through your process on how you source, validate and execute on your business ideas. Well, one of the things is having an idea, is, well, entrepreneurship is having an idea and then execution. And I don't really like doing, doing research that much because I'd much rather research in the marketplace. So even when we went into water coolers, I said, I've got $20,000 to lose. And, uh, and I bought water coolers and it was really testing in the marketplace whether it would work. And you know very, very quickly. It was the same when I first started my first business with fax machines. Same thing, I took a dollar amount. Now, today I take much bigger amounts. Uh, and, uh, and so it's a, um, yeah, I've got, I've got more to lose. Tony, it sounds like you are very focused on getting your minimum viable product to the market as soon as you can. But what tips do you have for maybe selecting and choosing the right product in the first place? It's a very old um, marketing uh, concept, which is the four Ps, which is product, price, promotion, and place or distribution. And I really try to find something unique in one or two or three or four of them. If I can get all four, 
I know I've, I've, now I'm onto a winner. Tony, could you walk us through this process and show us how you actually came up with one of your actual ideas? Okay. The, um, being a public listed company, I probably can't tell you some of the ideas I'm exploring, but if I go to the past, um, I launched a brand of sunglasses called Lispex. And, and so if I looked at the product, many people were, were producing, many sunglass uh, producers were making sunglasses and all sorts of in Krylon and nylon, etc. But I said, I'll take the product and make it out of one, sub, one, uh, 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 one component, which was Krylon. Now, Krylon is very, very flexible. And so I was able to, so as a product, it was made out of Krylon. I called it Le Specs, giving it a French connotation of fashion. I put the tricolor on the, on the uh, frame. I sold it in a tricolor bag. Um, in terms of price, whereas people had variable pricing, I said, let's make it all one price, $49.95. And I could sell in lots of 50. So I didn't have the, have the uh, retailer wanting to choose his own models. I said, I'll sell it on sale or, or exchange. So if something doesn't go in your city, we'll exchange it with other products that do. And then in terms of promotion, we ran a very much a French ad, which was very much sitting on your sunglasses because everyone breaks their sunglasses. And we offered a seven-year guarantee, we'll replace them. Whatever happens, we'll replace them. And then in terms of distribution, I did pharmacy only, didn't go into supermarkets. And so we got 50% market share the very, very first year, which was quite phenomenal. Um, and every one of those four Ps, I was, be, I was able to do something uniquely. Now, Tony, being a good businessman is also being able to be emotionally detached from your business ideas. So what advice would you have for an entrepreneur apart from experience on how they can identify when their business idea is not a good one or is not working and that they should walk away? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the point is being able to walk away. Um, lots of people, you know, you'll hear them say, never give up, never give up, never give up. Sometimes you have to give up. Your product isn't there at the right time for the market or whatever. So, uh, so so my, you know, my personal belief is that, is that you, you know, you do try and get a product that is going to work, that in, uh, you know, an entrepreneur can normally see is normally going to be an optimist, but, uh, but don't get emotionally involved. Don't be ready to abandon. And we have a policy ESA, which is euphoria, skepticism, abandonment. And, and that is you take, you get very, very excited about a product. You think this is going to be a winner. You then think of all the things that could go wrong and, you know, and, you know, often you, oh, don't be negative, but you do want to think all the things that could go wrong. And if there are too many, you go to A, abandonment. Guys, to recap, Tony applies the four Ps on product, price, promotion, and place to find his business ideas. Next, he goes through the process of euphoria, skepticism, and abandonment. So after he's found his four Ps and he's at a euphoria stage where he's excited about the business idea, Tony will also begin thinking of all the things that can go wrong with this business and this is where he's probably testing his minimum viable product. And if there's too many things that can go wrong, this is where he'll abandon it without being overly emotionally attached. Now Tony, could you actually share with us some of your worst failures and how you felt about them? Probably the worst failure in my life was I introduced a product called Z-Watch. And Z-Watch was in opposition to Swatch which was just launching at the time. And so I, I discovered from the uh, receptionist at the company that was bringing them in what their, what their uh, product 
was all about how many models, et cetera, what their pricing and their promotion and distribution. And so I, I did something better in all those. So really I was doing everything according to my formula that worked. And, uh, and, so, and so with that, I launched a product and between, um, you know, in three months leading up to Christmas, I sold four times as many Z watches as Swatch did. But the problem is the product, the uh, plasticizer in the product had got brittle over those three months and the straps broke immediately. And they all came back, all 27,000 of them. And uh, it was an absolute disaster. And, but it, was, it taught me a lesson, you know, and I had to, um, obviously, if I'd bought a product, because the product was only three or $4, um, if I'd paid another 50 cents or a dollar, I would have known I would have had a product that had been tested by say Walmart or, or whoever, and the plasticizer would have been right. Whoa, so how do you feel when all 27,000 units were returned? Uh, I offered a two-year guarantee, so it took two years to, for them to come back. But it certainly was the worst, um, worst disaster. I just, what I found, it took me a really a year uh, because I went into another company and I thought before I was really giving good decision making, uh, it took 12 months for that to happen. And so uh, to clear my mind again, it wasn't the money I lost. That didn't, that didn't worry me. It was, I mean, it was most of the money I had at the time, but uh, I knew that I could do something again but it was more just getting getting my thinking right. So I think from what you just shared, one of the important points is that in the manufacturing or production business, quality control is very important, especially when you're giving a warranty, you really have to think about how your profits may actually be eaten away as time goes by. Yes, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i quite conservative, really. I mean, I put in, uh, always have lots of provisions for, for warranties, for bad debts at things, um, and, and over-provide for that. So I have to incorporate that into my margin. That I will have something coming back. So guys, every business has its ins and outs. It's important to get involved so you can really fully understand it. And it's important to remember that the four Ps, while it's useful for finding a good business idea, does not mean they will be foolproof and bulletproof. The only way to find out is to get a minimum viable product and test it out in the market. If it does not work, make sure you walk away. Now, Tony, let's circle back to your company, Just Water. After you've decided to actually pivot to the water cooler distribution business, what was it like growing the business in its early days and right now? We've gone through a you know really interesting journey from you know banks wanting their money back and uh, and you know so it's been ups and downs the whole way. Um, the 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 journey the the journey was I mean it it, it went very very quickly and went up um, and we did extremely well. I think we. We made a very, very good decision by saying we will rent, but that costs, um, you know, there's a lot of money up front and you're relying on the banks, in my case, to give it to you, uh, which they did until they decided they wouldn't, didn't want to. Uh, but we got through that. Um, and I mean, it, it's, it's very, very exciting. Now the market, and, and this is very typical with any, any product. Um, well, it's just that product life cycle. So, you know, it goes, it goes right up at the moment. It's a mature market. Most uh, most buildings have water coolers. Most offices have water coolers in them, and uh, and so now you're. But because we're a rental product, it uh, it the the cash just keeps on coming in. So even though you stay fairly flat in terms of numbers, but you're not buying stock anymore. 
Now, that's a very interesting business model that you have there, Tony. By providing a rental service, you always have this constant stream of recovering revenue and cash flow as opposed to a one-off sale or maybe a water cooler to the customer itself. By having a more predictable revenue and cash flow stream, this probably gives the financial institutions more confidence in your business. So, Tony, please share with us. How has sticking to this business model over the years helped your company? Well, I think, um, so first of all, I learned from the watch business. I needed something that that was long-term and rental businesses are long-term. The thing I learned, we went into into an international market and it was a disaster and we lost a lot of money. Now, the bank never turned off the tap. They said, hey, we, are, we know that that money that you've got rolling in from, you, from your current operation is going, to, uh, is going to keep on rolling in. So we went into $70 million, $27 million worth of debt, and we've re- we repaid that over about four or five years. So guys, by having a rental business model, this gave Tony's company a constant stream of revenue and cash flow. And this is what gave the banks that confidence to actually not claw back their loans despite the failures that he suffered overseas. So try thinking about it. Would having a rental business model maybe be beneficial for your company? Now back to you, Tony. I know your company is listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. What was the process like and what were your thoughts about it? I had been uh, chief executive of another public listed company and I thought people weren't taking companies weren't taking the marketing advantage of being listed so uh, so that was the reason I did the listing of what was in just water and I um, and we really didn't raise we only raised eight million dollars it was we didn't have to raise money but it was just to be public now what I get of being public is that you look bigger than you are and you get a lot of publicity. You can put out statements to the stock exchange and they get in, into the papers. So it's better than normal PR. So that was a big, big thing. And even now today, the biggest company in New Zealand like, is, say, Fonterra. Um, they would never move from us because we look as though we're a big company. And that is true. Like we can't afford to do anything, cut any corners or we test our water on the hour, every hour. We have to make quite sure that Hey, if anything happened, we'd immediately shut the shut down production, have a recall, etc. And 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 big companies really appreciate that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tony, you actually managed to retain about a seventy percent shareholding in your company despite its public listing. So that's very interesting to me. This means that you actually gave very little equity away during the earlier days as you built the company. Yes. In fact, since you just shared that you were actually borrowing from the banks and you were in about twenty seven million dollars worth of debt, you actually resisted the whole idea of giving your shares despite all these troubles that you went through? Yes, I, I suppose I am the optimistic entrepreneur. I remember one time we were very, very close on our bank debt and one of the partners of PricewaterhouseCoopers said, Tony, I've got someone who will put in a million dollars into your business for 50% of the business. And I was quite astounded. I said, what? I, there's no way I would do that. And, and because... I could see the value of this rental flow just coming through. And so, uh, and so, I, so I tried to do step by step. Now, what I'm seeing today is graduates come out from business schools and the first thing they do is want to raise, raise money. And, um, and if their idea is very good, chances that they really just become like an employee because the venture capitalist comes in and and he invests 
And then when they need more, if they grow, he needs more. Uh, he needs to take more capital. And in the end, the, the, the guy who started the business is just an employee and probably will be fired at one stage if it gets big enough because he's not going to be the best chief executive. Yeah, Tony, but unfortunately, that seems to be the current culture behind venture capital and private equity fundraising. Entrepreneurs seem more concerned and proud about the money that they have raised as opposed to the product that they're building. But what they fail to realize maybe is that when they're raising these funds, they're giving a huge part of their company away. And that means giving their control away as well. Not only a portion of your company, but you gave away the future of your company. And like now, um, you know, we probably will do a capital raise shortly, which I won't be able to fund 70% of it. So, uh, so we will be giving capital away, but it's at a much higher price than when we first listed. So I think that's all right. Um, I'll still be in control, but uh, but I'll have a yeah you know, I'll have a lesser amount, but be able to buy more things. Quiet. So Tony, what do you think about the younger entrepreneurs these days who seem to be able to raise millions of dollars just by their projected numbers in their spreadsheets? No, I think a lot of talent gets wasted because they they want to be the next Airbnb or something, and they think they have the greatest idea. Spend a lot of time because the chances are they're developers or working with developers, and. Uh, and they may have a good product, but it's it's um, you still have to market that product. You have to get it get it to market. And to me, I just uh, I think it's almost the fault of business schools that they that that's that's sort of a big part of entrepreneurship courses is fundraising. Tony, I do agree that a lot of talent gets wasted because maybe sometimes young entrepreneurs don't have the right experience or the skill sets that they need to actually lead a company properly. So let's talk a little bit about corporate careers. Tony, you had a very successful corporate career before you ended up starting all your businesses. So please share with us what experiences did you have and how they benefited you over time. Well, I remember when I was I worked for a US multinational and every quarter they required they required a forecasting what you're going to do for the next quarter, for the next 12 months, rolling 12 months, and the next three years. Every quarter. And I was, I I remember being, wow, and saying, in fact, Man, if I if we if they gave us time to run the business, we'd make a lot more money. But what it gave me was a discipline that you do have to keep on looking at your business. You do have to keep on planning and looking at uh, at what's out there in the future. And uh, and so that was a very, very big uh, one I learned. The second one that I learned was um, look bigger than you are. And this was a PR thing, and that's part of the reason we went public. But we go out of our way to um, to get to get publicity on all sorts of things. So being public gives me a, a immediate access to the media. Um, but I also make comments on um, on you know I if if the media are talking about obesity, they chances are they will ring me, um, and and that's good because that's something I'm you know personally keen on. It it correlates with our water business. Yes, this is a very important point, which is brand strategy, is how do you want to position yourself in a market and what are the areas of expertise that you have? If they can think about you when they think about that subject, you know you've done it well and you're actually providing an extra channel of traffic to your business. Yes, I think there are, I think your own personal profile is really important. That's why I'm honored to be on the Ted Teo uh, podcast here, because you have to you have to keep on building your own profile as well as your company profile. And, and I think that is really, really, really important um, 
to do. Yeah, exactly. In today's day and age, everything's on social media, everything's online, and people can find you if they want to, and that may make or break their impression of you as well. So that's a very important thing to focus on. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm in fact just starting a series on entrepreneurship on YouTube, and I'll be running this, um, running this series. And again, it's just so that people, uh, you know, there's some recognition. Ah, interesting. So what are you going to share on the YouTube series? I'll be sharing, um, yeah, really just going through the experiences I've had that, uh, that would relate to people starting up a business and, uh, and the things that, um, you know, how do you get that big idea? Um, how do you execute? Uh, how do you use the right, the right people around you? You know, because you have to be nervous about using consultants because chances are they've never, they've never run a company. So I'm very big on, um, you know, lawyers, finding a lawyer who is commercial because most lawyers just want to tell you the exact law and often you, you only want to go, you want to look at what are the odds of the other side doing something. So often you just don't want to be, you only want to go 90% of that way rather than 100%, which a lawyer will always go for 100%. Tony, I know you've also set up a business school in 2003, so you clearly enjoy teaching. What do you enjoy about the teaching process and what keeps you going? Well, I like, um, I like people from, I think the next lot of entrepreneurs actually come from, from low socioeconomic communities. And so this business school was at a low socioeconomic school. And because those people understand about uh, being desperate or, and maybe that's just too strong a word, but they know that you have to, you have to work. Your parents have had to struggle to, uh, and so they're more likely to be thinking, how, how do I do this? How do I get out of here? Etc. So, um, so they, you know, they're the sort of kids that will work during their school holidays, and that just becomes a norm. So, but what they don't know, they don't know how to how to get to the total to the whole world. They, the world is, is quite small to them. It might be just their little city or or suburb, and uh, and I want to teach them how they can go go out to the world with their with their product or or service. Tony, could you share a little bit about the programs or the curriculum that you have provided for them? Okay, well, teachers are, are very, um, very one-dimensional. So I looked at it from a marketing point of view and said, what do kids like? And they, at that stage, they, they like being on screens and looking and shooting at each other. So we did business games on screens. Um, we had, when the teacher taught them the theory of, say, pricing at the beginning of the week, uh, they would sit the next day and develop a whole lot of questions, 50 questions. And then every two students were assigned a local business. Some of them were just like the local bakery or some were much bigger businesses. And they would go there on the Friday afternoon and ask them about pricing. And they'd find all sorts of, you know, people, the baker, local bakery might say, well, at Easter, we, we put the cross on the Easter bun and we mark it up, you know, 200%. And so it, would, it was quite different to what they learned at school, the theory of it, but it meant they could answer the, their questions and their exams a lot better. I see. So on top of the lessons that they take, they also have practical experiences because they actually get to work and speak with the local business owners. That's a great idea. Right. And then we took 15 of them every year, either to New York or to Silicon Valley. Um, I know New York very well. So, you know, so we went to Saatchi and Saatchi, the stock exchange. Um, Wall Street lawyers, lots of startup businesses, um, the banks, we've got Deutsche Bank, 
etc. Or to Silicon Valley, and and again through startups and uh, and uh, larger companies like Microsoft and Apple. So, what's one of your favorite memories from these trips? Wow, there are so many memories. Um, I it was certainly going to Wall Street. Lawyers were just quite—they're um, quite aggressive, I suppose. And uh, and the, and the same with venture capitalists. So, going to a venture capitalist, and they were very direct. What do you want? What do you you know? What's your business? Tell us what you what you want to do. And so very so they're very very simple in both cases. Very very simple in uh, tell us what your concept is. And because they say, listen, we get, I can't remember what you said about, you know, about a thousand ideas a month come through. They, they look at about a hundred of them. They sort them out down to about a hundred and they probably see about 10 people and probably get about one they will fund. So it's not an easy thing. So they want to, they want someone who can think simply and clearly on exactly what their product or concept is and how they're going to execute. Now, Tony, I know you also wrote a book called The ABCs of Business, Never Hire a Person Who Walks Slowly. Could you share with us some of the tips that you have inside as well? Okay, well, in effect, this was the ABC of business. Um, and, and it probably is true, never hire a person who walks slowly. But, uh, but I've gone through it and looked at, um, you know, just all things. I mean, I just, it's an A to Z. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, I start off with just that, the articulate incompetent, who is the uh, person who wears the suit and the beautiful suit, tie, does everything right, writes reports, but nothing happens. Um, to uh, you know, to talking about what, how the dream team operates, um, how you get an idea, how you execute. Talking about lawyers, I said before. Talking about the habit, getting into into good habits. Talking about keep it simple. Um, you know, talking about niche, looking for a niche, I, you know, that's one thing I, I do. I look to, um, you know, you, you, it's not legal to be a monopolist, but it is legal to own a niche. And I try to find a niche that I can own. And so in effect, be the monopoly in that niche. Um, I then look for, you know, how you find opportunities, um, time management, all those things. A lot of them are not the sort of things you'd normally read in textbooks. Often they're, uh, they're a little bit they're a little bit contra- contrarian to what you would write, what you would read in textbooks. Tony, if the listeners only remember one thing from today's conversation, what would you like it to be? Probably focus and keep it simple. Um, you know, just don't try and get too complex. Most people try and be complex. So Tony, how can our listeners get in contact with you? My email address is tonyf at justlife.co.nz and my phone number is New Zealand. 021-950-856. And yes, anyone's welcome to, to get hold of me at any time. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ted. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and Tony on today's show. Now, if you're looking for a business idea, why not actually apply the four P's as Tony shared on product, price, promotion, and place. Get your minimum viable product out in the market and make sure that you test it objectively. If it doesn't work, make sure you're okay to walk away. Now, the show notes, tools, and resources are all available on my website at tedteo.com. That's T-E-D-T-E-O.com. And remember to support the show by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with someone who will find it useful as well. And don't forget about the Amazon gift voucher giveaway. If you actually do subscribe and leave a review on Apple iTunes by the end of September, then you stand a chance to win $50 worth of gift vouchers from Amazon. That's all for me today. I'll see you next time.